Welcome to Easter at Seneca Community Church. We're glad you've decided to be with us this morning and celebrate our risen Lord. A lot goes into all that happens here on a Sunday morning. Uh, some things you see, some things you don't see. Uh, just appreciate that everything that happens here at uh, Seneca, Seneca uh, Community Church is just uh, a team effort. Uh, really pray, appreciate you know people uh, taking care of parking lot things, cleaning, uh, sound. Uh, it's great when we when we don't notice the sound crew back there. That means they're doing a great job. So I just set them up for a problem today. But uh, anyway, and uh, you know everything from what's happening in kids zone to nursery to coffee to greeting. Uh, just really appreciate the way everyone rolls up their sleeves every Sunday and throughout the week to, to make a difference. So really appreciate that. Over the last uh, eight days, uh, we've been looking at why. Why Palm Sunday? Why Good Friday? And this morning, why Easter? And uh, as we think about Easter, as we think about the Resurrection Day, uh, some of us, you know, we have to kind of connect with the idea of what is the big deal? Why is it so exciting? Why are uh, some people just really pumped up and just overflowing with what seems to be joy. Uh, you bump into them, and sometimes they'll say, uh, you know, Christ is risen, and they're kind of like waiting for you to say, he's risen indeed. And you go, what's going on with that? And uh, you may think that that's a, a line between the convinced and the unconvinced, but I have to even admit it that sometimes, you know, when someone's just over the top, I just kind of don't know how to respond to that. I, I say, I don't know if I'm feeling it. I, I, I want to feel it, but I don't know if I'm feeling it. I don't know every time when I hear about it, if I'm getting, you know, uh, you know chills down my spine and, you know, I see somebody else seems to, to be at that place, but I'm not. So, so why? Why is there this excitement? Why is there this joy? And again, as I said earlier, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't hinge between those who just are necessarily unconvinced. And maybe you got dragged here this morning with a promise of a good meal. I know that I'm really looking forward to chicken cordon bleu. Little bit of ham, not too much, but chicken cordon bleu. The girls are making it for us, so we'll drive up to Rochester this afternoon. But, but you know, so maybe you came with a promise of a good meal, and you're kind of watching these people, and we're like, hey, you know, and you go, what is that all about? And so, so there's really this, this, this spectrum. There's those that, in a sense, seem to be over the top. Wow. And those that uh, are like, oh, yeah, it's Easter. So, so what do we do with that? And I think in the uh, understanding of why Easter, why Resurrection Sunday, that we can start to get our mind around maybe moving a little bit farther towards the, the wow and away from the um, oh-hum. Uh, now, I've, I've showed you this, uh, this uh, commercial before, but I was really searching for some kind of idea, some kind of concept that really shows uh, the spectrum, that shows that somebody that's like, wow, and somebody that's like, Oh, hum. But I think this commercial really uh, hits it on the, the head. Sweetie? Come with me. Watch this. Woo! 
Spread the joy. There's the tension. The tension in a lot of things in life, but also the tension with this whole Easter thing. Where is that? One person is like, and the other person's like, the door's shutting as they go in, and it's just a non-event for them. So how do we wrestle with that? How do, we, how do we get to that place? It's interesting that Barna, a research company, tells us that 92% of all Americans believe that Jesus existed, that he walked on the planet, and that he was a historical person, 92%. And then if you take it a step farther, the same research came to the conclusions that just a little bit over 50% think Jesus, yes, he existed, but don't think that uh, Jesus was much more special than just a, a good man with good teaching and those kinds of things. So, so you start to see th- this, uh, this why and, and then how it breaks down. And then, then 52% of all Americans believe actually that Jesus was the Son of God. So you can see that out there, you know, 92% of us as Americans uh, believe that uh, Jesus did exist. Then it, then it shades in half almost, that there's this almost half and half. Some think that, again, just a historical person, a good person, but, uh, you know, nothing more than that. He was just like us, just a little bit better. And then there were some of us that would say, no, 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 he was much more than that. He was actually God himself. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. And so, so when we start to think about going from the, the wow or the, the, the oh hum to the wow and trying to maybe move a couple steps closer to that, uh, you know, we have to say, so, so what is the big deal? What is the big deal of a Jesus, of God uh, coming to earth? Um, and if we look in Jesus' own words, we'll see in the message paraphrase. Now, the message is a, a paraphrase by a guy named Eugene Peterson. Uh, Eugene Peterson is an uh, original language scholar, uh, a scholar. And what he does is he translates uh, idea to idea. So sometimes when you look at your more traditional translations, you're going to say, hey, wh- what's that? He's, he's looking at the whole passage. He's looking at idea to idea. For those of us who are familiar with um, having ministry partners around the world, uh, when some of this translation work takes place in other places where, where there's, there's not the same words for things, uh, they use the same kind of translation kind of work. It's called didactic translation. So idea for idea. So Jesus, as he looks at uh, Eugene Peterson, as he looks at the uh, original writings of uh, John, and John was a close friend of Jesus. John was one of Jesus' closest friends. Sometimes he's referred to as the disciple Jesus loved. So this is, this is what, what we see as, as, uh, see about, about Jesus. And this is John writing. God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins, and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. You see, God loved us so much that he saw this sin problem, this being out of step with God, trying to be our own God, that he doesn't force it on us, but he sends his son to give his life for us, to pay the price for the penalty of our sins. Uh, some of us are familiar with the verse that says, the wages of sin is death. He, he loves us so much that he sends his son to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. You see, it's not just about being a picture-perfect Christ follower. 
Some of us are into that, and then that's a good thing. But it's so much more about that. It's to clear that away so that you and I can actually connect with God, so you and I can actually walk with God through this life, through this chapter of life, and then into the next chapter, eternity. And so that's why. That's why Jesus comes, and that's why the resurrection for many of us is such a big deal. Easter's a big deal. Jesus, in his own words, says this, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed. And that's just not talking about heaven. That's just not talking about uh, eternity. That is talking about in the here and now. That doesn't mean life becomes perfect. It doesn't mean that uh, all troubles get washed away. We looked about that a little bit last week when we looked at Palm Sunday. But it's the idea that whatever our capacity is for living in this chapter of life, the chapter before eternity, Christ came not just for eternity, but he came so that you and I can experience God and look through uh, life with those eyes, and it can, it can radically change everything. And as we move on in our talk this morning, we're going to see some examples of that. So as we think about the why, uh, God, out of his love, sends Christ for us to reestablish or make it possible that you and I can have a connection, a relationship with God. And when you and I focus in on that, when we align our life with that, when we connect with that, we find that, uh, again, life doesn't become perfect, but it becomes uh, the best life that we can have. And most of us realize that uh, life in this chapter is short, quick. Even for those of us to live to an older age, it, it seems to go quick. So as we think about the why of Easter, the why of Resurrection Sunday, we can come to the conclusion, we can see that the why can, in a sense, give way to a wow. All of us, no matter where we're at spiritually, whether we're, again, a skeptic, an unconvinced person, or, or kind of just uh, kicking the tires of this thing called faith, can find that if we see these, three, these four uh, realities, if we can make these realities a part of our life and take a little baby step towards it, that we'll find that our, our why moves to a wow. Now, now I, I would be kidding you, and I, I don't want to do this, that, you know, I'm not going to give you, you know, four ideas, four concepts that all of a sudden, if you're a skeptic, you go, ah, I've discovered it. And then all of a sudden you run out of here and, you know, I'm not thinking that way. I'm giving you four ideas, four concepts for you to digest. Because all of us have been in those conversations when someone tries to convince us of something and, uh, they seem to have all these great answers, all these great principles, but we realize it just doesn't really seem to have any traction in our life. So I'm not trying to set you up. I'm not expecting you to be in that place. I'm expecting, hopefully, that you listen and see that maybe you understand the why, and maybe you take a step towards the wow. And for some of us who have been Christ followers for a long time, in quiet moments, we might even admit that our wow has subsided a little bit. So for those of us who would say, have said yes to Christ, have said yes, we want God a part of our lives, 
Uh, hopefully, as we walk through these four realities, these four ideas, we're going to see that uh, we, can, we can take a step towards restoring that wow into our life and into our hearts. Now, as I, as I say this, again, these ideas, these concepts, you know, I, I think in movies, those of you who know me, I think in things like that, I, I, see, I see sometimes when we're approaching somebody, we, we really, in a sense, come to a gunfight with a sword. And when we come to a gunfight with a sword, even though we could be fancy, smancy, smancy with blah, 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 and we're looking at the other person going, yeah, you see? And they just kind of just put, just, just shoot a hole right in it. And so, of course, I think of Indiana Jones. So, I'm being honest with you. If you're a skeptic, I'm not doing the sword thing up here and let you just, you have a, a shot that will just kind of blow through all those ideas. But what I hope most importantly is you see the heart behind what we share. I think even that person that may have brought you or that person that may have kind of been uh, on your case a little bit and they, they you know, they send you an email, they do something on Facebook, they, hey, hey here's, this, here's this one little piece of information, which will be, and then you're, you're in, you'll get it. And you're like, you know, I, I, got, I got a shot for that. So I'm not, I'm not trying to do that, but you got to realize, you got to understand that it's the heart that's really behind those things. Yes, the principles, the ideas, they're important. They, they hopefully have some kind of substance. Hopefully they have some kind of attraction, but you got to see the heart behind it. So even in those awkward moments, even in those times where uh, faith is brought up, religion is brought up, it's not brought up uh, just to, to kind of hopefully prove a point. And even sometimes we come across that way. I'm just trying to prove a point. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much broader than that. It's about sharing heart. It's just about sharing love for another person. Because when a person really buys into the why that we just talked about, this becomes a passion in their life. And they want others to not only just understand the why, that's not the point, just understand it. It's not information, but it's actually transformation. It's change from the inside out. So I understand as you're listening and I understand as you're, you're hearing these concepts that, uh, you know, I, I don't want you to think, again, I've come to a, come to a, a gunfight with a, with, a, with a sword. I want you to see through that. So as we think about these ideas, as we think about these concepts, if we think about going from, uh, you know, a, a oh-hum, door shut, and we're left with the wow in the car, some ideas, some concepts, I think, help us move a couple steps closer to that. First of all, there's this idea that in the wow, there is clarity that Jesus claimed he was God in person. And uh, for those of us, this, this is huge. This is really huge, that in the wow, there is clarity. We, we all of a sudden discover that we have clarity when we see that Jesus claimed that he was actually 
God in person. Again, we don't have to go back and wrestle through the idea, did God really exist, or did Jesus really exist? Again, 92% of Americans believe that, so that must be right. So, so you know, we don't have to go back there, but the idea is, was, was there something different about this Jesus besides him being just a great person? And we see that he claims to be God in person. Again, his buddy John writes these words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and God and the word was God. And when you, when you read that, really what you could do is you could actually replace the word word with Jesus. John is writing, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He's showing the connection. He's showing it there. Uh, another uh, verse says this as we fall down just a little bit farther. It says this. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory, the importance of God, the significance of God, or the word, with our own eyes. We are eyewitnesses. The one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out from start to finish. You see, Jesus comes to our neighborhood because we moved out of the neighborhood. If you go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to creation, all the way back to that first couple, you'll see that they're in the neighborhood. Uh, God's in the neighborhood, the Garden of Eden. And all of a sudden, they had one rule. So if you're ever thinking, well, faith, religion is all about rules, you've got to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There was one rule, one rule. Don't eat from this tree. And Adam and Eve couldn't, couldn't do it. They had freedom to choose. And when they chose, they moved out of the neighborhood. In a sense, they were out of the neighborhood where they had a relationship with God that was strong, that there wasn't static on the line. They were strongly connected because they, they couldn't comply with just that one thing. And so they leave the neighborhood. And God doesn't just walk away from them. God actually leans back in. And years later, lots of years later, he sends his son. He sends his son back to the neighborhood so that we could, we could see God in person, in action. We, we could see him there. And we could say, what would God do? Just see what Jesus does. Jesus reflects the heart of God because it is the heart of God because he is fully God. Now, for us, that may be a little bit hard to understand, and, and granted, it, it is hard to understand. I, I sometimes have to, have to wrestle with that and try to figure out what that understands, but the, but the idea here is that, that because we're out of the neighborhood, God sends his son to our neighborhood to see if we're interested in having things made right. If we're interested in having that relationship with God restored. And again, he doesn't force himself on us. Sometimes we go, well, why? And all this stuff. On one hand, we want him to force, and on one other hand, we want. He gives us total free will to act and live as we want. And, and that, that's a byproduct of it. He doesn't force himself on us. I like what Paul says. Paul was an anti-Christian kind of person trying to stop Christianity in the first few uh, days, years of, of faith. 
And uh, all of a sudden, his eyes are opened, and he crosses over, and uh, this is what he says. He says that God is on one side, and all the people are on the other. And Christ Jesus himself, man, is between them to bring them together by giving him his life for all mankind. And that's, again, what we remembered on Good Friday, that Jesus gave his life for all mankind and now leaves the door open for us to say whether I'm, I'm in or not, whether, whether I acknowledge my need that I, I'm, I'm broken, all of us. Uh, you know, I, I just, I try to be my own God and to realize that, believe that Christ gave his life so that, that we could have this relationship with him and that we could start now and it could go from this chapter into the next chapter. And he offers that to us. He stands in the gap for us. Now, it's interesting today that uh, really when we think about this, we, we say, well, did Jesus really, really claim uh, that uh, he was God in person, God in the flesh? In John 10, 10, we read this. I, this is Jesus speaking, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good works, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you are a mere man, claim to be God. You see, so even the people in Jesus' day, that, that's really the, the impetus between him being uh, crucified, was that the, the religious leaders of the day did not like him saying, I'm God in flesh. So whether he was or whether he was not, you know, that's another discussion, but, but the people in his day understood him to be saying that. It's so clear. It's so clear. And he doesn't go, no, 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 wait a minute. That's not what I said. He, 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 he just lets it out there because he's saying, he's claiming that I am God. I'm the son of God. And, and so much so that they were ready to take him out. And eventually, eventually they do. And God realized this was going to all unfold this way. And so when you, when you think about uh, Jesus and you think about that claim, that is really what separates, uh, you know, let's say, Christianity from a, from a number of other faiths. For example, Jewish folks today don't buy into Jesus' claim. They'll say he was a good rabbi, but, but he wasn't the son of God. Islam believes that Jesus was a great prophet, but not God. Those in the Hindu faith think Jesus was a good teacher, but one of many incarnations, one of many persons of God, but not God. Mormons believe Jesus is the brother of Lucifer, and both have the physical and are both the physical and spiritual offspring of God, but that's again not that he is God. In Buddhism, Jesus is a great teacher and has reached enlightenment. You see, that claim is significant. And that claim that Jesus made himself about himself, and others seem to agree that he was making, cost him his life, that, that's huge. And then you have to decide whether you buy into that or you don't buy into that. But there's no doubt that Jesus claimed to be God in person, God in flesh. And when you and I understand that reality, when we come to that place, it changes everything. Because now we see that we don't have to 
earn our way to God through our actions, through our abilities, through our being nice, that he freely gives that gift. And then in relationship with him, it starts to change our lives, again, from the inside out. Another idea, another reality that helps us to move from the oh-hum to the wow is this. There is a confidence in the proof Jesus rose from the grave. It's one thing that he died. He died for us, but, but the fact that he rose from the grave changes everything. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, then we really are wasting our time here, wasting our conversations, because, because that's where the power is. That, that's kind of what proves out that he is the son of God. You see, I, I don't follow a guy that just was a good teacher and had good things. It all rises and falls on the event of the resurrection. There's, there's tons of good teachers out there. But there really aren't any good teachers, and you might be able to come up with some obscure one, but there really aren't any uh, real good teachers out there that predict their death, then actually die, and then come back to life a couple days later. There just aren't any. So, so, so this rises and falls on this. If that didn't happen, if it was just a spiritual resurrection, not a physical resurrection, if it, if it wasn't the whole thing, th then, you know, I, you, that claim to be Christ followers are holding on to something that it just doesn't hold water. And for those of you who are unconvinced and, and skeptical, if, if I could prove that to you, uh, you, 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 you would say, you know, you'd be in. So, so, so th this is significant. So on that first Easter morning, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And uh, when, you, when you think about this, when you think about the resurrection, again, it comes back to the idea that Jesus was executed. Uh, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, friends of Jesus, all write about his death. They all hold on to his death. Even There's even writings from, from other contemporaries of that day. There's at least five uh, accounts, five uh, publications, if you will. They didn't really publicize them, but, but five documents that uh, all point to the idea that there was this execution. And uh, it, it, it's, it's just showed there. The, ne the next piece of the pie would be that the, the tomb is empty. And you may say, well, of course, the, you know, you could show me any empty tomb. How do you know that was tomb and all, and all those kinds of things? But if, if we really go back, we will see that Jesus' enemies were afraid because the tomb was empty. Now, you might say they moved the body and those kinds of things, but at least at that level, we would say that the tomb was empty. The question is, how did it get empty? But again, all this comes to the idea of, did he was he raised again? Probably the, some of the more powerful ones is that there was at least 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus at 12 different times. They talked with him. They, they ate with him. They touched him. And, uh, and these, were, these were the folks that had seen him die. 
And it's interesting, they claimed to this truth for the rest of their lives, that they had seen him risen from the dead. And this is very powerful to me because, because how many of us would hold on to something that was kind of a fable and put ourselves in harm's way? If we were to look at the disciples, if we were to look at Christ followers in the, those early days, they would die for that. They, they would live their whole lives, and many of them were martyred, and they would, they would die for something that wasn't true. They, they would, and, and they weren't pleasant deaths, if you can call death pleasant. They, they, were, they were excruciating death. So I don't know about you, and may, maybe I'm just the only wimpet here, but if I was, but if I was being hurt... If I was being tortured and I was pretending I had seen something, eventually I would say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Probably just, they would just have to threaten me for it. You know, they just have to bring out the thing and they, they wouldn't have to even touch me. Okay, 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 okay. Let me tell you, that really didn't happen. Uh, and especially some of these guys were offered, you know, in a sense, um, I don't want to say riches, but they were offered a good life if they would just come clean and admit that they had, you know, were making the whole thing up. Yet, yet they don't. They die for that. I don't know about you, but I, even dying for truth would be tough. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, dying, they're, dying, they're dying for, for, for lies. Why would, why would they do that? I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Chuck Colson. Um, he served in the President Nixon's administration and went to prison over the Watergate uh, cover-up. And he says this about, about the resurrection. He says this about lying and, and keeping a secret and all those kinds of things. This is what he says. He says, I know the resurrection is fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured it, endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? It's absolutely impossible. The resurrection of Jesus is a true fact of history. You may have to think about that for a little while. Again, I'm not doing the sword thing up here per se. That to me, that, that is powerful. Just, just think of some of even the, the cover-ups we've seen in recent days, recent years, and uh, it, it seems eventually the truth gets out. And you would think that anyone was on the other side of this resurrection stuff. If one of these guys, if one of these guys had backed off it, it would be on someone's iPhone video. No, it would have been, it would have been recorded. Somebody would have held on to it and said, yeah, 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 that was true. But you remember, oh, let's say Peter, he cracked. John, none of them did. That has power. That has real power. Then, then also, there's just the early followers of Christ. If you look at history, if you were to really study history, something changes. People change. All the things that were initiated, all the things that, that came online by these 
so-called believers in the resurrection, they literally changed the world. Changed the world. Now, we could recite some of the horrible things that were done in the name of Christianity. But if we were really to weigh the two against each other, we'd see overwhelmingly that much more wonderful things were done in the name of Christianity. And sometimes we refer to that as the church, and the church really are just followers of Christ that get together and do something together because together we can do more than on our own. And I just want to want you to watch this little reminder of this. What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. Puts things in perspective. Something changed. Something happened. And today we still live in the ripples of that event. You see, nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected, even, even Jesus' closest followers didn't expect nobody. That's where they were so surprised. That's why everybody was surprised. And if those earlier folks who were trying to shut everything down could have come up with something, they would have. Probably the most uh, profound uh, proof is this for me of the resurrection is James's stepbrother, Jesus. Uh, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And I don't know about you, but as I look at my siblings, uh, I don't know what they would have to do to convince me that uh, they were actually God. Um, just think of that for a second. I mean, what would they... And here is James saying, no, 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 no. My brother, Jesus, was the son of God. Uh, that, that, that's in itself huge. Um, you know, when we think about this whole idea about, about uh, what this means for us, 
It means that, again, our future is secure. Uh, we read in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How could anyone say that unless, unless they really had experienced what Christ meant to them? Uh, just recently, uh, I can never say his name, James Carl Weasel or something like that. You'll know who he is in a second. Uh, person of interest, a uh, person who played Jesus in the Passion. Um, also a person who's playing, uh, who's someone just, Caviezel, see, now you can see why I can't say it. But anyway, um, but, uh, you know, he, he says these things when he thinks about this whole idea of what the implications are when it comes to the proof of the resurrection. This is what he says. In terms of persecution around the world, what message would you like for that audience to hear as it relates to this movie? <clears throat> well, you mean as far as the Chaldeans, Coptics, and Syrian Christians that were uh, crucified uh, on Good Friday last year? I would say the United States, we got us as Christians start not being afraid. Um, every man dies, not every man really lives. Um, and in this film, what Paul says at the end is really powerful, to live as Christ, to die as game. We all die, man. Uh, it's, it's how you live your life. And there are a lot of people out there right now that, that are need our help. And we, as Christians, we have to stop uh, being afraid of that. And, you know, and, and I think modern day Christians uh, really struggle with death. And it's just, it's just and Billy Graham just died. He had 99 years. I mean, a lot of people cry, but my God. If you don't believe that man's with Jesus, then what kind of faith do you have? Exactly right. Thank you, sir. A confidence to life, confidence to death. Also, we move a little bit more to the wow when we realize that there is hope as Jesus accepts us where we are. That is so huge. Jesus accepts us where we are. He doesn't necessarily want us to stay where we are. He wants us to grow. He wants us to experience that full life we talked about in the first few minutes of the talk. But he accepts us where we are. We read this in Romans. Accept one another just then as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You see, it brings significance to who God is and how he's touching this world as we accept one another. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done. God accepts us where we're at. And that gives us hope. Because if the truth be known, all of us have a story. All of us have a story of heartbreak, of uh, bad decisions, of, uh, and, and some of those stories no one else knows about but just you and me, or not you and me. <laughs> wow, that's kind of weird. <laughs> yes, because I'm all-knowing up here. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about myself. God, you know about you and me. But anyway, but uh, the idea that, that he knows, he knows those stories. And yet he accepts us. We read on, it says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still out of step with him, Christ died for us. Christ provides the gift and leaves the accepting on our side. Uh, usually, I don't buy something that I don't think somebody's going to take. I don't give a gift. To, you know, I wouldn't do that. But, but Christ wants to open the door and says, I give my life for you. 
first off, wherever you're at. And now it's the ball of sense is in your court. And then when that, that, that change takes place, uh, we come, become new creations or new in Christ. The old is gone, the new is here. And that's, a, that's not an instantaneous transformation. There, there's a process. Uh, other writers talk about uh, working out our salvation, working out our relationship with God. There's an integration of what it means to follow Christ. And, and we, we get more aligned with that. Again, not to earn his love, not to please him per se, but, uh, but because we want to, because we want to experience him. So when we, when we think about the oh-hum and we think of the wow, and we want to take a step towards the wow, we come to the place where we go, wow, God accepts me where I'm at. And even for those of us who said yes to Christ, and I'll kind of mess things up a little bit or a lot, he still accepts us where we're at. It's awesome. That makes us go, wow. The wow also is there, the fact in that direction. There is a direction as Jesus pursues people. It amazes me that he came from heaven to earth. We talk about him being born in a little manger. We talk about you know, God or Jesus being the incarnation of God. God in person. God in flesh. And, and he, he came to pursue us. He, he left all of what we can only imagine heaven has to offer and came to, to live here, to live you know, in Palestine. Back then, I mean, there was no electricity. I mean, I, I would at least come a few years later, right? But he comes then and he to, to pursue us over and over again. We see the same theme for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And some of us may say, well, what, what does lost mean? It means separated from God, not in relationship with God. Sometimes people say, are you saved? Are you lost? And you're like, what do you mean? I don't feel saved. I don't feel lost. I don't feel... It's, it's this figure that, that, that Jesus came to pursue those out of step with him, far removed from him. He comes, tells this little story. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away... Will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go off to look for the one that wandered off? Again, he, he, he comes on our behalf. He's engaged. It cost him not only his life, it cost him coming and, and growing up, going through all the limitations of being a little boy, little baby, and growing into manhood. Yet it was so important. And that gives us direction. For those of us who are, are Christ followers, you want a little more wow in your life? Get involved. Be a part of seeing others become connected to Christ. And all of a sudden, you have that wow because you see that story repeating itself in other people's lives. Your Father in heaven does not want a single one of the tripped, waylaid, stumbling little ones to be lost. And that's not to put somebody down, but it's to say, hey, if you're struggling, there, there's a way. And so for those of us who say yes to Christ, it, you, may, you may, the first three wows, you may go, those are me. I have the clarity. I have the confidence. I have the hope. But what about the direction? 
Does that direction really show up? Do you plug any energy into that? Is, is it, is it ta all talk? Or is there action? Where are you at with that? This little vignette uh, speaks to those who have already said yes to Christ. Going from the perspective of somebody who's still out there and wondering how those who have found Christ are going to respond to them. When's it going to happen? Here I am. There you are. Here I am, desperate for love, for truth. What are you going to do when you leave this building? Are you going to share with me what you've been learning here today? Or are you just going to bottle it up and pull it out next week for your friends? Now, when I say share, I'm not talking about every tactic you've used on me in the past, like judging my every move, telling me I'm a bad person, pointing fingers, giving me disgusting looks. <laughs> and my favorite is when you tell me that I'm lost. I don't even know what that means to be lost. Do you really think judging me is going to make me change? Would it make you change? Now, I, I know I'm a bad person. I've, I've done bad things. But I don't need you to tell me that. What I need is for you to pick me up when I fall down, to be there when I'm broken. Yes, there's, there's something missing in me. There's a void in my heart that I don't know how to fill. You have it. You have that thing that makes you whole. You know that person that I need to know. So I'm watching your every move. I'm watching where you go and what you say and do because I'm desperate for something real. I need something genuine to know that there's something more here than this. I mean, this, this can't be it, really. And I think you know that. Listen to me. I need you. I need you to be here for me. I need you to walk out right now, ready and willing to do whatever it takes it's, it may not be comfortable. It may not be easy. But I need you to show me love. No matter the cost, show me what unconditional love really looks like. Stop telling me about this God of yours and show me who he really is. Honestly, I'll probably resist you. I'll probably argue with you and laugh at you. I'll, you know, even when you fall, I'll probably call you a hypocrite. But don't give up on me. Please don't give up on me. So I'm going to ask you, when's it going to happen? Moving from Oham to Wow. What's that Wow look like? That Wow has clarity for life. You see that God loves 
So we sent. See Jesus, God in person, God in flesh. Confidence. You have confidence in the fact that Jesus did what history says he did, that he died and rose again. Yes, uh, don't have any other experiences of that, do we? So would it take like five examples of that, a hundred examples for that, a thousand examples for you to buy into that? What makes it unbelievable is that this one example of it rises again. That gives us a, a confidence. Also, we see that we can have hope. No matter where we're at, no matter how far we're from God, how close we're to God, he accepts us where we're at. He may not approve of where we're at, but he accepts where we're at because he wants us to grow. He wants us to live that full life that can start in the here and now and move on throughout eternity. And when you and I live in the idea that there's that kind of hope, wow, does that free us? That gives us a wow. Because all of us in our quiet, alone moments, no matter how long we've been at this God thing, this faith thing, know that we blow it often. And we need a God who continually accepts us where we are at. And then we have direction. We have something to be about. I'm sorry, but the biggest thing that opens our eyes, if you're a Christ follower, to wow of God is seeing him work in somebody else's life, being a part of that, being up close to that. When you see him work in somebody else's life, it is a wow moment. Because if you're honest, when you're pointing to Christ with your life, you know that it takes more than just your life. It's just not you. And you're like, wow, God is showing up. So as we think about Easter and we think about the why of Easter, it all is about not just the information, not just concepts. It's about seeing it move to wow where it actually takes our breath away it all starts with this idea of saying yes to jesus it starts with this idea of admitting that we've been out of step with god we call that sin and the need to be connected to god through christ and we admit that we acknowledge that and we just have to do that we come to the terms that we believe then that jesus really did live and died for our sins and that he rose again we accept his forgiveness because we know we need it and then we choose to invite christ into our life to connect with christ as the one we're going to follow not perfectly follow but the one we're going to follow there'll be two steps forward one step back it's process. It's walking with him. So if we want to start with an oham and move even one step towards wow, it begins with opening our life and saying yes to Christ. And even in a moment like this, when I close in prayer, you right there in your seat can say, Lord, 
I want you in my life. I, I don't know what that all means. I don't know how that's all going to be unfold, but I'm taking a step. I, I see your hand reaching out to me, and I'm going to reach up to it and grab it. Help me. Lead me along in this thing called faith and walking with you. And again, then for those of us who have already said yes, there's this idea of restoring a sense of wow to our faith through those four areas. So it's just not a why, but the why becomes a constant wow, awe, take your breath part of life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are just in awe of what you did on our behalf to pursue us, to go after us. And even now in this moment, we're reminded of that. For some of us, it, 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 it takes our breath away. For some of us, we're just coming to the place of realizing it takes our breath away. And for some of us, we're still a little skeptical, a little unconvinced, and, and that's okay, but we're, we're looking, we're, we're, we're exploring. And so this morning I ask that this Easter celebration, this Resurrection Day, would be a day where all of us, no matter where we're at, take a step toward the wow. For those that are thinking about saying yes to you, even right now in their seats, I just ask that they would have a clarity of mind just to say quietly in their hearts, Lord, I admit my need for you. I acknowledge my need for you. I believe you gave your life for me. I choose to follow you. Join my life. Come into my life. Help me to take the first steps of faith. And again, for those of us who are, have already, I, I pray that you would do whatever it takes to restore a, a regular, consistent wow to our life. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.